Well, hello there. Yes, I said we'd be back, and here we are. It is another fabulous piece of archaeology news. Of course, this news was brought to you in partnership between Stone Pages and the British Archaeological Jobs and Resources website. All the stories have been collected from various sources, and so to view details on each story, including that all-important source, you're going to have to go along to the Stone Pages website at news.stonepages.com. I probably sound slightly more husky than normal, and that's because I've actually been transported back into ancient history myself, where I popped along to, uh, has it really been 30 years since I used to go to a club at Edinburgh University? Well, all I can say is, in my own mind, I've still got it. Anyway, enough about that past, and let's get to the archaeology news. We've got a cemetery dating back more than two and a half thousand years being studied in Poland and one of the oldest cases of tuberculosis has been discovered in Europe. Early stonemaking tools were more sophisticated than previously thought and an ancient mural in Turkey may be the first picture of a volcanic blast. We've got some extreme archaeology in the mountains of Wyoming and of course it wouldn't be the archaeology news if we didn't have a small story about Stonehenge. So the last story will be about the new Stonehenge Visitors Centre. Right, uh, let's go back to the cemetery in Poland. It's a, a large Lusatian culture community cemetery dating back two and a half thousand years from the late Bronze Age to early Iron Age period. It's been excavated by archaeologists near Wagorich in Poland. The archaeologists explained this all to Science and Scholarship in Poland, a fabulous website um, that you can have a look at yourself. Well, you're not, of course, on past horizons and stone pages. <clears throat> anyway, they said that they examined 151 graves containing cremations. They counted more than a thousand ceramic artefacts and pots placed in the graves uh, by the mourners. Cremated remains from this period, contemporary in fact with the famous fortified settlement at Biskupin, are normally placed in urns. Common practices that they observed at the cemetery consisted of urns with bowls like lids. Uh, inverted vessels and scoops and cups placed on their side within larger ceramic containers. In addition, the grave pits contained usually a dozen or so other vessels and in a few cases there was as many as 40 additional ceramic vessels. Among the thousands of these that were discovered there are richly ornamented examples for the last journey. The deceased also received bronze items including pins, for example, a sickle or even a razor. Now, I'm just going to sort of... Uh, there's one uh, piece that actually came out uh, of this, which is quite touching. It's a cl- clay rattle. Um, the youngest which were... The children, that is, were buried with these miniature vessels. It's almost like sort of tiny um, doll-like vessels and, of course, the clay rattles. In one of the child's graves, the archaeologist found a spoon whose handle contained the stylized head of a bird, and in another, a richly decorated bowl showing the figure of a bird. Very nice. Um, a quite unique discovery in this part of Poland is a small rectangular clay object which is associated with a cult of hearth and home. So it's called a moon idol. Such objects are usually found in Silesian cemeteries, mostly from the area of Rokl. So. 
I'm going to have said that wrong, I know it. Uh, what was also interesting was actually learning about the Lusatian culture itself. Uh, this bunch lived in a basin of the Vistula and Oder rivers. Um, around about today's Saxony, Brandenburg, and Northern Czech Republic, as well as uh, Polish Lusatia. The people were mainly cereal farmers, but also bred cattle and pigs and goats. The society straddled the end of the Bronze Age and the advent of the Iron Age, and in addition to open settlements, they also had fortified towns, considered by many to be tribal centres. The areas occupied by the Lusatian culture as well, known for bronze treasures, that have come to light, including both personal ornaments and tools. These tools are mainly axes and sickles. The first recorded uh, excavation of a cemetery uh, of this uh, dates actually to the 15th century AD. Yep, you heard me right. It's the chronicler Jan Glo... <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt his last name. I'll, I will try. Dologodz wrote that born from the womb of the earth are pots by themselves only by the art of nature, without any human helping, of all sorts of different shapes, similar to those that people use, though delicate and soft while still rooted in their family soil in the ground, yet when they are removed they become tight and hardened in the sun or wind. Well, the excavations at uh, this cemetery site were completed back in September 2013, and although the site is already known to archaeologists from the 19th century, more extensive work was actually possible due to, yes, of course, a planned extension of the provincial road number 196. So in fact, what we have here is a rescue excavation. A lot of people wonder, you know, why or why do archaeologists dig up bodies? Well, we we try not to, but if uh, fortunately, if we hadn't done this one, as I'm using the raw we here, then of course it would have had a road ploughed straight through it. Now, uh, tuberculosis, it turns out it was present in Europe. 7,000 years ago. This is according to Muriel Masson and colleagues at the University of Sveged in Hungary. Hypertrophic pulmonary osteopathy, let's call it HPO for short there, is a secondary disease caused by tuberculosis. It's characterised by symmetrical new bone formations on the long bones. It's very rare to find it in the archaeological record. The study's authors examined 71 human skeletons from a 7,000-year-old Neolithic site in the south of Hungary. Pathological analysis seemed to indicate that this population had been mostly non-violent, like that, leading a physically stressful life and prone to infections with a high rate of dental disease. They found numerous cases of infections and metabolic diseases, and some skeletons showed signs of HPO and therefore potentially tuberculosis. They focused on one male skeleton in particular, aged 19 or 20 at the time of death, analysing the ancient DNA and lipids. Both tests then confirmed the presence of bacterial complex associated with tuberculosis. It's not only the earliest occurrence of fully developed HPO on an adult skeleton to date, but also clearly establishes the presence now of tuberculosis in Europe 7,000 years ago. I should point out that earlier stuff has been found uh, in other parts of the world, especially at, uh, in the Levant. Now, researchers at the University of Liverpool in England have found that long and slender stone, stone tools were made by human ancestors at least a million years ago, nearly twice as long as generally thought before. Professor John Gowlett, as a member of the international team based on the University Department of Archaeology, Classics and Egyptology, is working at Colombe in Kenya, 
where he has found a number of hand axe tools that are very long and narrow. Gerlitz said some of these stone tools from Clombe and other early sites are almost two and a half times as long as they are broad, and this is in no way an accident. They were carefully crafted. Usually such slender shapes are found far later in the fine blade tools made by Homo sapiens. As the concentrations of elongate tools are rare on the Columbia site, they were probably made to carry out tasks of animal butchery or plant preparation, which did not occur very often. Or, as they say, it's an early sign of sophisticated behaviour. Perhaps they were also made because they could be made. Now, in 1963, archaeologist James Mellert found a large mural on the wall of a house in Çatalhöyük in Turkey, the largest known Stone Age town to date. He interpreted it as depicting the town's dwelling with a twin-peaked volcano, Hassan Dağ, in the process of erupting. Not everyone agreed with Mellert, partly because there was no evidence that the people of Çatalhöyük ever saw Hassan Dağ erupt. Axel Schmidt, what a fabulous name for a volcanologist, Axel Schmidt of the University of California in Los Angeles has now climbed Hasanda with his colleagues and collected samples from layers of volcanic rock formed during an explosive eruption, confirming the rocks are about 9,000 years old, roughly the same age as the mural. What's more, geological evidence suggests the mural was actually relatively accurate. Uh, it was depicting a small eruption, categorised by ejection of bright cinder particles and chunks of molten rocks tens of metres above the crater. Stephanie Meath, who studied the Chateau-Huyuk mural while at the University of Cambridge, concludes, however, that the volcano is in fact the depiction of a leopard skin and the town a collection of abstract shapes, which was Mellor's original impression. Other art at Chateau-Huyuk shows the people who lived there were obsessed with wild animals. They, quite, they painted quite a lot of uh, these murals. Schmidt, however, says that the geological evidence is still important and speculates on a possible compromise. Isn't it lovely when people compromise? Zoomorphism could satisfy both interpretations, he says. Hassan Da could be seen as the Leopard Mountain. Nice. Now, the instance of high-altitude settlements in North America is rare, and today only six had ever been found. Six. Now, a team of archaeologists from the Colorado State University and the University of Sheffield in the UK have located a staggering 13 further settlements, all at an altitude of over 3,500 metres, in a range of glacial mountains in Wyoming, known as the Wind River Range. Some initial dating calculations have been made, with predictions ranging from 2,700 to 4,000 years old. The question remains as to why these prehistoric people ventured so high up the mountains. The true answer is still a mystery, but theories range from tribal warfare, driving the people away, to scarcity of food in the lowlands. The answer may be as simple as that ventured by Richard Adams from Colorado, Colorado State University that it was just a nice place to be in the summer. The team, however, had to cope with forest fires, flash floods, and the odd encounter with grizzly bears, but it was all worth it. Wait a second, I thought, I thought you said this was a nice place to be in the summer. Uh, mm, one of the largest villages, named as High Rise, covers a vast area of 26 acres with over 60 lodge sites. 
Archaeologists found a variety of artefacts, ranging from sewing tools to arrowheads. As some of these tools would have been quite valuable, it's thought that they were stored for use year after year and not taken back to the lowland settlements. The findings of the recent expeditions are due to be published in the next issue of the Journal of Archaeological Science. And now you've been very good. You've been waiting for it, and here it is. It's a Stonehenge story of the week. The first of long overdue improvements. Tell me about it. On the Stonehenge World Heritage Site, experience will be opened to the public on the 18th of December, 2013. A new state-of-the-art visitor centre located approximately 2.1 kilometres west of Stonehenge will open its doors to the public on that day. Increased parking for 500 cars and 30 coaches will be provided at the site. This is the first part of a £27 million Stonehenge Environmental Improvements Programme, which will see the old visitor centre demolished and then landscaped, and the controversial road, the A344, grassed over, allowing for the reconnection of the avenue to the stones of Stonehenge. The new visitor centre will incorporate many modern, substantial, uh, sustainable building techniques, including carbon-free ground source heat pumps and grey water recycling. Inside the centre, uh, people will be able to experience a 360-degree virtual stones experience and view artefacts from the area which have been brought together back to their origins from surrounding museums and the Duckworth Collection at the University of Cambridge. Further exhibitions will explore the debate over the origins and purpose of the stones and the expansion to visitor experience has been long overdue with an enhanced cafe, hopefully not with that grey water um, recycle, um, an enhanced cafe and shop facility. you got to get your tea towel of Stonehenge, haven't you? It's hoped that visitors will spend a longer and more enjoyable time exploring the heritage of the area. There are actually some fabulous things to be seen all around um, that part of Wiltshire. The stones, however, will not actually be visible from the new centre, and this will in fact enhance their mystery as they will gradually emerge over the horizon as they approach on a 10-minute shuttle bus. English Heritage have also anticipated the increased numbers of visitors by introducing a timed ticket system to avoid queues and overcrowding. Further stages of the redevelopment will include the construction of Neolithic houses in Easter 2014 and the finalisation of the re-landscaping in summer 2014. Hopefully they'll be able to experience the wonder that was Stonehenge. Well, on that uh, pretentious um, note... I will finish for today. Bit of a short news, but hey, better a small amount of news than none at all. Again, best wishes to Diego and family. I hope uh, things are going fine over in Italy. Um, I can tell you just now they're getting a little bit nippy, a bit, a bit uh, chilly here in Scotland. So it's time to put another log in the fire, settle down, start writing my Christmas list and uh, thinking about... Well, what sort of archaeology tools to buy people? You know, there's only one place to do that. You know what I'm going to say. PastHorizonsTools.com Indeed. Um, remember, of course, that you can always find more... Um, I was going to say tools there. You can find more news at uh, StonePages. That's uh, news.stonepages.com Thank you again for listening to this archaeology news. We hope you will return again next week. Mm-hmm.